Hey guys and welcome to the very first episode of 15 Minute Medicine where we try and make medicine as simple as possible but not more simple than that. I'm your co-host Defosa and I'm Farai. So 15 Minute Medicine is a YouTube and podcast channel that looks to give undergraduate medical students as well as interns a quick recap on medical conditions. So we're just two struggling med students and one of us tends to sleep a lot, not going to mention any names, and we've learned some lessons along the way. So who better to help you guys out than those who know the struggle all too well? So just to clarify so there's no confusion, on the topic of who's getting enough sleep out of all of us, it's your force now. Bro, why you gotta expose me like that? And why are you lying? The real truth is, I don't get enough sleep. Because I'm starting so late, then I tend to sleep in lectures and the cycle just goes on and on and on. <laughs> Alright, cool. Anyway, let's move on. So I think the best thing to do is to have an approach to all problems that we come across and with this case of diarrhea in a young child, it's no different. Everyone has their own way of approaching different clinical problems and this is no different for acute diarrhea in a child. In this case, I'm going to give you the approach that I thought works best. In broad strokes, you can divide the etiology for diarrheal illness into three categories. The first category would be gastrointestinal infections and these can be viral which is most common in the developing world. You can also have bacterial or protozoal infections. The next category is diarrhea as a symptom of a systemic infection, such as your urinary tract infection, pneumonia, meningitis, and so on and so forth. The third category is diarrhea due to an intra-abdominal emergency, such as intersusception or appendicitis. There's a few specific things that you need to take cognizance of with relation to diarrheal disease. The first thing being the hydration status. Children with diarrhea tend to get very dehydrated, so you need to make sure, first of all, if they're dehydrated, second of all, how severe this dehydration is, because this tends to be the biggest killer in children with diarrhea. Another one. Nutritional status. These children tend to be malnourished. Another one. Comorbid conditions. Another one. The type of diarrheal illness. Another one. That, that's, that's all. That's, that's, my, that's my approach. Alright, so now that we have a good approach, now let's give this topic some life. Jan is a five-month-old boy who lives with his mother and his aunt in an informal settlement in Cape Town. His mother occasionally breastfeeds when she can, but because she works as a domestic worker, he's also formula-fed by her younger sister Maria. So since there's a water crisis in Cape Town, and the taps are regularly turned off, his aunt formula feeds him by using water from the nearby stream. She thought it looked clean enough so she didn't bother to boil it and she used that water to formula feed the baby. Also due to transportation issues, Jan hasn't received all his vaccinations, including Rotorix. If we take it back for one second, we realize that there are a few things in this history that concern us. One is that there's an unsafe water source. Two is that the immunizations are not up to date. Three is because the child is not being exclusively breastfed. We know that breast is best. Yeah. So Jan was brought into the clinic a couple of days later. His mom was complaining that he's been crying a lot and he was initially inconsolable, but now he's quite lethargic and drowsy. And she also noted that he's been passing a lot of watery stools, approximately six a day, and his eyes look very different. And he's also crying without tears. On examination, Jan had decreased skin turgor, a sunken fontanelle, sunken eyes. He was very drowsy and not responding well to stimuli. He also had a dry mouth and he was noted to be tachycardic. 
His pulses, however, had good character and volume, and his blood pressure was normal. He was apyrexial and he wasn't in any respiratory distress. His abdomen was also soft and not distended, and there were no palpable masses felt. His bowel sounds were noted to be increased. Fingerprint glucose and urine dipsticks were also normal. So if also, like, you've given us the examination and the history before that. If you put all of that together, what does that give us? Hmm, let's see. I think he's got a historical examination. What? I, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what, how that's going to help us. What I was trying to say is that, like, that's going to give us an assessment. Oh, but, like, you just asked me, like, combined history and exam, what do you get, you know? So that's what I thought, okay. So if you, based on that, I think he's got a acute gastroenteritis. So we're going to give you a proper clinical summary of Jan's case now. Jan is a five-month-old infant living in an informal settlement just outside of Cape Town. He presents with symptoms suggestive of acute gastroenteritis. On history, immunizations are not up to date. He's been receiving mixed feeds and they use a contaminated water source at home. He's been having six stools per day for the past two days. On examination, he has a decreased level of consciousness. He's apyrexial and he has a tachycardia. He also shows signs of severe dehydration. On abdominal examination, he has a soft, non-tender abdomen. He can feel no masses and he has increased bowel sounds. All his other systems are completely normal. As you can see, Farai is ready to kill it on the next Peds ward round. Just to get a bit of epidemiology, don't worry, it's not going to be too long because we know how heavy epidemiology can be. Just talking about how diarrheal disease is one of the top five causes of childhood morbidity and mortality worldwide. I could give you a whole lot of stats and all that, but basically the crux of what you need to know is that it's very, very common and it's a very big killer. Childhood diarrheal disease is commonly caused by rotavirus. It's a double-stranded RNA virus, part of the Rio Verde family. Interestingly, when scientists first discovered it, they gave it the name rota because it looks like a wheel, and rota means wheel in Latin. I think it's only appropriate that it causes diarrhea because it gets the bowels moving quickly, eh? Of course, I don't know why you're wasting your time doing medicine when clearly you, you should be a comedian. Like, the things that you're coming up with, like, wow. Yeah, I've actually thought about it quite a lot, but I don't want to put Trevor Noah out of a job. You know, I still got talents, you know, I still got medicine. Like, I mean, he's got comedy, and I think that's... He's very good at it, but I think that's about it, eh? So enough about the jokes, let's get back to the medicine. So rotavirus is spread via the fecal-oral route and through contaminated water, contaminated food, or poor hand hygiene. So the virus infects and kills mature enterocytes, and it replaces it with immature cells that cannot absorb nutrients correctly. This leads to an osmotic diarrhea where the unabsorbed carbohydrates draw water into the lumen of the intestine. The virus also releases an enterotoxin, which causes fluids and electrolytes to be secreted into the lumen, thus causing also a secretory diarrhea. The disease is self-limiting, and after an immune response is formed, the virus is cleared. Okay, now we're going to get to the real meat of the subject, and this is management. Management can be broadly divided into three categories. Rehydration, maintenance, and ongoing losses. We'll start with rehydration, which can be divided into rehydration in a child that is shocked or non-shocked. When the child is shocked, 
you can start by giving a 20 milliliter per kg bolus of ringer's lactate or normal saline. You then reassess the child to see if there's a response. If there's no response, you can give two further boluses of 10 milliliter per kg boluses, and if not, then you may enlist help. If the child is a special case such as heart failure, severe acute malnutrition, or hyponatremia, then you want to give a lower initial bolus of between 10 to 15 milliliters per kg. For maintenance, we use the 4-2-1 rule. So you divide the amount of kgs that the child weighs into tens. So for the first 10 kgs, you times that by 4. The second 10 kgs, you times that by 2. And each kg after that, you times it by 1. The result of this formula is what you'd be giving the child in milliliters per hour. And this can be either ORS, breast milk, normal um, infant feeds, etc. Now the child may continue having loose stools or they could be vomiting. And to compensate for this, you're still going to have to give more fluid. After each loose stool, you'd give 10 milliliters per kg of ORS solution. Now it's important to know how to make ORS and it's quite simple. Take every opportunity you can to counsel moms and guardians on how to make it. You take one liter of water and you boil it, let it cool down, you take eight level teaspoons of sugar, you add half a teaspoon of salt, you mix it all together and then you give it to the child after each loose stool. Now to bring it back to our case of Jan, we're going to assume that Jan weighs 10 kilograms for his general rehydration, we assess him to be severely dehydrated, so we give him 1000 milliliters of Ringus lactate. For maintenance, we started feeding him 40 milliliters RS per hour and ongoing losses after each loose stool, we gave him 100 milliliters of ORS as well. So since the cause of gastroenteritis is most likely viral in this, in this case and many other cases, you do not have to make use of antibiotics, probiotics or any other biotics. But just so that you know, when you should start suspecting a bacterial infection is when the child's stools have mucus or blood on them and their antibiotics can be very useful. Also just going back to maintenance, I think to better understand it, we're going to give you a case of a child that weighs 22 kgs. So for the first 10 kgs, you times that by 4. The next, kgs, next 10 kgs, you times that by 2. And the final 2 kgs, you're going to times that by 1. So altogether, that's going to give you 62 milliliters per hour that you're giving the child. I think that's a better example to use because now you're making full use of the 4-2-1 rule. So we all know that prevention is better than cure. Let's talk about the prevention of diarrheal disease. The most important factors are safe water sources and good sanitation and hygiene, like proper hand washing. Ifosa, I cannot tell you how important that is. Too often, when you're in the men's bathroom, you see especially old men just walking out straight from the urinals. Guys, you're killing children. Let's, let's start washing our hands and we can reduce diarrheal disease. Please. Wash your hands, guys. So earlier we also mentioned that Jan hadn't received all these vaccines. This was important because there's a vaccine called Rotorix in the South African EPI. This vaccine is given at 6 and 14 weeks. And although it doesn't prevent diarrhea, it does however reduce the severity of diarrhea. Yo, so I think we finally covered all the topics in this case. Yo bro, thanks so much bro, cause like, I was struggling a bit. There's a lot to take in and it's quite a marathon.
You can't be serious. That wasn't even 15 minutes. Imagine that was a lecture. Hey, bro, if it was a lecture, <laughs> I'd be comatose right now, bro. I'd be finished. Anyways, thank you for listening to the first of many, many podcasts. We hope to be engaging with many of you soon. Comment on our Facebook or Instagram page if you want us to cover any specific topics or if you have any general feedback. Catch next week's episode where we're going to be covering pulmonary embolism. And we hope that this has been made as simple as possible. But not more simple than that. <laughs>